Hey, good afternoon, everybody. It is Tuesday, and as our man just mentioned, you are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpen Radio. Up right now, it's time for Radio Free Bridgeport with our own Mr. John Daly. Broadcasting from the community of the future. Live from the co-prosperity sphere, this is Radio Free Bridgeport. And now your host, Mr. John Daly. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie, very much. Welcome to Radio Free Bridgeport. Welcome to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. It is a lovely Tuesday. Got a little rain slash snow going on out here. But yeah, for no, Punch Day. No complaints. Tuesday. It was uh, 50 degrees the other day, so spring is on its way. Spring is on its way. It's fine. It's coming. It's coming. Jamie, I know you got a question for me here, but we got a good show for everybody. We've got uh, two folks running for Illinois House and Senate. Yep coming up and uh we've got a great band for you and we're going to yeah. talk to the folks from uh, c2e2 yeah it's good and bobby uh, bobby martinez olsen is here with us in the studio we're going to get to him in a minute Froy jimenez is coming up at 4 30 uh as john mentioned we've got a good band ari shellist is getting them going you can probably hear somebody hitting the skins that's jared rabin christina rogers from c2e2 which is this weekend right february 29th oh, yeah. Oh, yeah so that's coming up we're going to talk to her as well but john's right you know um and by the way, thank you for uh, having your dad on the show last week. Oh, you guys did a great job. I, it was a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, it was It was great to have him on. Is he calling you right now, too? He knows that this is time for a call. <laughs> yeah, you know, usually usually when people call, it's your dad so in the middle of the show. So uh, it was great having him, and I, I really appreciated his gardening tips. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys, you, you dug into a lot. It was a good hour. Yeah, it was good. So I, I have a question for you, and it's been driving me absolutely crazy. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to play you a little clip here, okay? And it's it's this new song that came out, okay? Um, and I, I, okay. now this. Well, I know it's not Feline's new, no, no, new no. track, no, baby. No. This is the number one song and album in the country. It's Justin Bieber's new song. Now I saw this on Saturday Night Live, and basically all he's doing is saying yummy. Uh, that, that's enough of that. All he's doing is saying yummy, yummy, yummy over and over again, okay? Which is. It is weird to me, okay? Because all I could think of, and, and this is why I wanted to bring this up to you, all I could think of, you know, how, how this great classic has been so maligned and mocked when Justin Bieber's... Oh, yeah. It's, you know, they're basically the same song, right? <laughs> and yet one, one is being mocked repeatedly on The Simpsons, and the other is the number one song in the country with 25 million streams as of this morning. Hey, man. I, you know, I think even yeah, right. just the existence of the track alone, you got to give the Migos credit. They've they've created an entire genre of music. They've created a, a new chant style uh, that you know people uh, people apparently love. People love. Well, I you know, I, I just that that Justin Bieber song's been stuck in my head ever since he was on SNL. It's it literally is driving me crazy. His whole dance routine where he's eating, right? And he's he's like talking about food and it's strange because I'm pretty sure he's not talking about food. I'm, I think he's talking about thirst. I mean, as the as we do have Bobby in the studio, who might be our resident young person for the day. Yeah, are you the resident young person, Bobby? <laughs> yeah, I'll be the resident young person. <laughs> okay, for the day. Yeah, I uh, honestly thought "Yummy" by Justin Bieber was about uh, Pochki Day. Oh, it could be. Good point. Good point. And of course, by the way, thank you for Bridgeport Bakery for uh, opening back oh, up. Oh yeah, and, and thank you, Jamie, for keeping them uh, open, <laughs> keeping them afloat during those rough, <laughs> those rough three weeks of closure. Yes, thank you, thank you, Bridgeport Bakery. Bobby, what do you think about this tune? I mean. Um, I personally I haven't listened to it that much in the car. I've been too busy knocking on doors, but 
hey, I'm happy to give it a chance. That's a good answer. <laughs> okay, good answer. Uh, Byron Martinez Olson is here. He is running second district. Am I right? I get all these districts screwed yeah, up. House Illinois, District 2. Okay, House District 2, you're running against Teresa Ma and another candidate, another challenger, um, who I have debated whether they're a real challenger or not, to be honest with you. I can't tell. I think everybody that's on the ballot is, is legitimate. Okay, here. all right. Well, I, I have no I, – I, I can't tell. So I'm, One uh, of the things that we do, Bobby, is, is you know, this is obviously a, a – low-power FM radio station. Sure. We feel that it's extremely important to give free airtime to candidates. Um, so we appreciate you being on. We appreciate your time um, talking about your candidacy. As, as Jamie was saying, um, you know, we do pretty much a standard uh, interview with folks so that they can talk about um, you know, why they're doing this and, and talk about your background. And um, so, again, we appreciate your time. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, it's just important what you all are doing as a service to let the community hear people's voices, let them get to know who they really are. And is that somebody that they agree with or not? Yeah. It's far too expensive uh, otherwise. So that's why uh, that's yeah. why we, we think it's important. You know, and actually that, that leads me into one of the first questions. Um, and we've asked a lot of candidates this. I mean, th- this is an expensive thing to do. It's not cheap to run for public office, unfortunately. Why, why are you doing this? Why do you think uh, this is a good use of your time and, and your money and your effort? What, what do you think – uh, you can bring to this position? So there's a couple things in my background. On my mom's side of the family, I'm a first-generation Latino attorney. And when my mother and grandmother moved here from Mexico and they struggled to speak English, they struggled to find work, if you'd have told them that their son could have run for office, they'd have said, that's impossible. I don't believe it. But this isn't really a unique story. This is a story of a lot of the immigrant community from Mexico, from China, from where else. And then uh, on my lovely father's side of the family, Fourth-generation public servants, great-grandpa, World War II vet, uh, dad, grandpa, uncle, cops. And so we've really experienced a lot in this community. And going door-to-door, I really relate with people. And some things uh, are changing for the better and other things not so much. We really care about the environment. We really care about crime. And I want my campaign to be a vehicle for the community to really have their input and say and make a change about those things that matter the most because in our system – Elections are the only time you can make a change. Every other time you get public feedback, but you don't get a vote. This is the rare opportunity that just the public, how scary, how dangerous, how beautiful anyone can get a vote. What was so important about the uh, Illinois House in particular uh, that made you want to run for that seat? Honestly, all politics is local. Federal government is limited, can do certain things. The most powerful positions are the local ones, and unfortunately, they're all often two times the ones that are looked up or looked over. <laughs> Overlooked. So, you know, we were looking over some of your campaign literature. I know you've been kind of very focused um, on Bridgeport, at least in the things that I've seen. But, you know, the, the second district is obviously larger than Bridgeport. You know what right. I mean? It's an important part. What do you think you would bring to the district as a whole? And, and you, you said, you know, in your preamble here, you think some things are, are going well, uh, some things aren't going well. What are those things that you think are going well, and and what are the things that if you were elected you would work to change? Morgan Street looks beautiful. We've brought a lot of new people to the community. Bridgeport has to be an opening and welcome community. Uh, We have a really great history, but those are some of the things that are going really well. And we want to make sure that Bridgeport, Pilsen, McKinley Park, that this house district isn't just a place that "Ah, I'm content staying here because, you know, my tax – Bill didn't jump too high this year, but it's a place people want to go. Let it be a tourist destination. Look at Chinatown. My, my goodness, it's beautiful. We need to pack that with tourists and locals and really help those businesses out in this time. Especially important right now, given what's happening uh, globally and 
and what's happening in Italy and what started in China. Um, you know, there's the Chamber of Commerce has said that a lot of people are avoiding the area, but we hope that people uh, certainly come back. Right. And, you know, in Pilsen, uh, just to kind of tee off of what you mentioned, the, the things that I'm putting out there are, hey, why don't we have bilingual services? Look, I'll tell you, growing up as a Latino, there was quite a bit of racism. And it was that we, my family spoke Spanish too much. And now we can't find a single person to speak Spanish in the post office. I mean, hey, my aunt will do it. She only speaks Spanish. You're talking about a recent thing at, at the Pilsen Post Office where there was a protest yeah. uh, with uh, Byron Cicho Lopez, just for, for listeners that may not be aware. Uh, uh, a recent news story. You can find more about that, I'm sure, at uh, your local public library. Um, you, your, some of your campaign literature, though, again, it seems very focused on on Bridgeport and to the point that, you know, candidly, when I looked at it, I said, I, I wondered if you were, in a sense, making a case to run for aldermen and not the House. Um, because some of the issues you're talking about are, are very hyper-local. Uh, and I, you know, that's very admirable. Don't get me wrong here. But again, you know, the House deals with a lot a lot more stuff, you know what I mean, than, than just this district and, and just this area. You're going to be asked to, to vote on all kinds of things. So what, you know, what is your take on the current, you know, situation of some of the larger issues that are faced our state that you're going to be asked to vote on? Sure. So with the literature, um, if you're in Bridgeport, you're going to get some stuff that's hyper-tailored to Bridgeport. If you're in Pilsen, you're going to get some stuff that's hyper-tailored to Pilsen, mentions the post office, mentions that we need not just post office workers that reflect the community, but state reps that can too, speak Spanish, learn languages, are open to the diversity that's uh, innate in our district. It's it's beautiful. Uh, some of the big issues we're looking at, um, let's go with a Pilsen strong one. The Illinois um, currently has limited situations where immigrants have protected rights. My background is as an attorney. Uh, under the 14th Amendment, any person is protected by due process. So currently, we could make a constitutional argument that immigrants are entitled to lots of rights, that they're a protected class already vis-a-vis the 14th Amendment and the U.S. Constitution. So uh, let's back that up with an Illinois statute. Let's make sure you can't discriminate not just on race and sexual orientation, but immigrant status. We shouldn't be able to ask people about their papers. And that's a big deal right now, obviously, with the census going out. There's been a, a lot of um, potentially uh, news nationally that um, could be targeted at that, particularly at that community, to bring census numbers down. The- well, yeah, I've had people, uh, you know, and I won't disclose who for the sake of their privacy, but I've had people in my family deported. And it's not pretty when you grow up and you're concerned about checking a box and you know, uh, for hypothetical sake, grandma or mom or aunt gets deported. Jamie was talking about the the uh, role of the Illinois House, and you know, we look back at this last session; it was extremely active. Right. We had um, the uh, uh, Reproductive Health Act. We had uh, legalization of adult use of cannabis. Um, there was a huge. Um, capital bill for the yes. first time in over 10 years. This was an extremely active session. Not as active right now uh, as people are getting ready for their <laughs> election. And these last few weeks have been a little stagnant, but I imagine that that changes after March 17th. Um, tell us a little bit about what you know specific initiatives. You've mentioned um, uh, representation for, for immigrant status. Um, what, what specific initiatives would you like to see uh, if you're successful? So I want to make immigrants a protected class. I, I would like to see us really take hold of clean energy. We can turn these into union jobs. We can turn these into union jobs for blue-collar uh, working-class people here in Bridgeport. We can turn these into jobs for historically disenfranchised communities. Um, 
Our district has a lot of Latinos. I think the National Latino Education Institute right now is putting forward a program where, hey, you're 18, maybe you're, you don't want to go to college. Maybe you're, you can't afford it, um, but you come out after a 16-week training course working in solar energy and you have a union job. And if you need to go back to college for that PhD, you do it later. Uh, another big thing, we want to make sure that with crime, on the one hand, we're, we're not keeping people locked up uh, for many, many years about nonviolent offenses like marijuana, but we want to make sure that also we're taking off the streets and rehabilitating people that are committing violent crimes because um, I, I'm sure if you've read my literature, I was the victim of a, of a carjacking last year, and um, it, it wasn't a pleasant experience, and I thought it could have prevent, been preventable. Um, Tooth, victims two through eight in the carjacking were preventable, and uh, we didn't do anything to rehabilitate that young man and, and give him a new skill set so that he won't offend again. Uh, get a little bit winded, but uh, politicians kind of are. No, I mean, that's it's important to us. There's been three people killed right in proximity to where we're sitting right now. I had a gun pulled on me on, on May right here on 31st. Sorry to hear that. Um, so it's, we're dealing with it here at the studio. Yeah, we've had a window shot out as well, and there's been obviously some stuff on the street. And you mentioned carjackings. Carjackings are up 65% this year in Illinois, according to statistics that just came out yesterday from the Chicago police. So I, I think you make a good point. But what, you know, we, we've talked to other, other candidates, including, you know, your opponent. Uh, what then would you do to rehabilitate some of these people because you know when speaking with Tom Dart he he makes the point that he's running the largest mental health clinic in this state right. which is a, a a key point you know Tom Dart's the sheriff for people who don't know who I'm referring to uh, our jails are are basically serving as de facto uh, mental illness facilities and our own alderman uh, Pat Thompson when he was here said you know one of the things that he continues to want to fight for is more uh, dollars for mental health clinics no more concerted effort for that and that goes into a larger question about health care which I think is a, obviously a huge one for Illinois but I would love to hear what your feelings are on that yeah there's there's multiple things going on there and it's a really exciting opportunity for Illinois to be really progressive on these issues. So obviously mental health and, and crime are separate issues, but we saw the closing of mental health clinics in Chicago, and this is pushing people into untenable situations uh, where funding could come in. There are a lot of situations where we don't need an officer in a school. We don't need an officer responding to a mental health crisis. If we could have a social worker, the, the magic, unfortunately, to that is funding. And so if we could take easy wins like casinos, uh, if we could, take, could have taken uh, an easy win like marijuana earlier, we could have diverted that funding. Rather than putting it in the, in the general fund and a kind of slush fund for pet projects that happens all too often, we could have committed that specifically to mental health funding. Or, or education is another pet peeve of mine. So you bring up gaming. That's obviously something that's on the docket. There's, there's both consideration for the expansion of casinos. Obviously, Chicago is, is vying for a casino. The mayor has been down in the last few weeks talking to the legislature and, and is focused on that. Um, there's also the issue of expansion of video gaming. How do you feel about the the expansion of that industry? Let it happen in Chicago. People are gambling right now just like people were smoking marijuana. They're just, what, with gambling, they're crossing a state line to do it, so Indiana reaps the benefits and you know, I have to say I don't, I don't agree with a lot of the policies out of the state of Indiana, but maybe we could be using that in Chicago for something that, that we want. Why is our money going to Indiana? Yeah, I saw they, in a, a quick reaction, uh, they were able to move a little faster than we were. They opened up sports betting um, at basically on the eve of us even proposing it um, and already, already got their, uh, their casinos online for sports betting. 
Yeah, and the other thing about marijuana is I want to make sure that it's accessible to communities that have been historically criminalized. So the Latino community, the African-American community, we're historically, we've been disproportionately hit uh, with arrests and being locked up about that. And um, we need to allow people that are low income and people from different backgrounds and, and racial minorities to reap the benefits. I don't want to see this just go to the cigarette companies or somebody else. The governor, when he was running during his primary, uh, was sitting in that chair. And when he talked about his desire for the legalization of, of recreational cannabis, he his, the first thing he said was, it's not interesting because of the potential dollars that come to the state. What's interesting is the social justice reasons that it's important to do it. Um, and, and that was the first time that I heard that articulated. Um, and I thought it was, I mean, obviously he made good on that, on that promise. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited where things are going. I'm uh, very curious to see where our future leaders are going to start putting those dollars. And of course, you've mentioned, uh, you know, and you're, this is continuing off something you already said, you know, you've mentioned in your campaign literature uh, that you have a history, uh, a family uh, history is not the right word. You, you had many members of your family who worked for the police department in Correct. the city. Uh, and the police department obviously is operating right now under a consent decree in this Correct. city. And uh, we've just lost our chief and we're looking for another one. Uh, the police department, I believe, has paid out an outrageous amount of money as well in settlements to people that were victimized by uh, John Burge and, and other people. You know, you've, you've made this a center part of your campaign. So what would you do to address the very real problems uh, that we are seeing with uh, police in this state and in the city. So we need to make sure we're allocating enough funding and we're using it properly within the department. There are situations where we could have social workers respond. Uh, currently with our officers, they're the first in line against terrorism, they're the first in line uh, for mental health crisis, they're the first in line for genuine crime. So uh, we, we really need to think long and hard about um, the reforms that we want to make and the opportunity to do that is Probably the, the vehicle I could think best is a contract with the department's been without for about two years. But uh, um, so I, I would distinguish a bit that, uh, you know, my personal positions don't necessarily reflect those of CPD or vice versa mm-hmm. um, or the FOP or vice versa. Um, and when my experience talking to a lot of officers in person is they want reforms too. It's, it's a department that they, they want to see things done in two. But um, unfortunately, with the political climate, we haven't been able to get that open table to all people interested to allow them to, to work these things out and put it in a contract and make good on it. So are you distancing yourself? I just want to make this clear from some of the statements the FOP has made because, you know, they've been uh, pretty, I would say, outright opposed to reform and, and obviously uh, taken some very contentious positions against people that have tried to make small reforms in the criminal justice system. I would be a case by case in particular with them. Um, but of course, yeah, I've, I've uh, not hidden the fact that uh, my families are, are proud police officers and I, I stand with them and, and the courageous work they do. Growing up, one of the things that when my father would go to work was, was difficult, was uh, contemplating as a young child that this person might not come home and, and they're trying to protect and serve our community. So how is it that we can enable all first responders to, to do their job and, and really protect and serve the community? You talk about all first responders. It's, I think it's an important point that the the strain of affordable housing, the strain of mental health res- responders, social workers, um, really does put a strain on teachers, police, fire, EMT. Uh, we've we've talked about that often a lot, and and we we are hopeful that you know there's. I know we're talking about an affordable housing package within a casino deal. Um, hopefully that that helps because. Uh, 
it seems that you know particularly over the last few years that that all first responders and and we include teachers in that uh, have have been uh, bearing a lot of that burden. Our, our vulnerable communities are being hit the hardest. So uh, make no mistake, seniors are being hit the hardest. People uh, economically on 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 the brink are the ones that get pushed out of Chicago. And make no mistake, the the Tribune and the Sun Times have both acknowledged that. The exodus from the state of Illinois is, they call it the black exodus. It's largely African-Americans that are being pushed out by the climate, um, and the taxes and the crime, and, and communities are being hurt. And so we need to make sure that we have just as strong voices in Springfield that, you know, I, I didn't learn about this experience. I didn't learn what it's like for Latinos or immigrants, or I, I lived it. <laughs> I, I lived in this community my entire life, and, and that's a very real thing that people identify with door to door. There, you talk about the taxes. There's a ballot initiative uh, coming up in the general election, um, the Fair Tax Initiative, and the governor's been talking about that in his budget address last week on Wednesday. Um, how, do, how do you feel about this initiative? I'm a proponent of the Fair Tax. The Governor Pritzker projects about $3 billion. Uh, say even if we fall short of it, what I'd like to see is that money is committed to education. Uh, currently, Quite a bit of the educational fund is, and you know, the lottery, for example, that goes in the education fund is eaten up by teachers' pensions. I'm all for paying people their retirements. It's kind of like a 401k, but not as many dollars as we think make it into the classroom are actually making it to students and teachers. So, cool with the three billion dollars, but commit it, commit it, commit it. So, one of the more innovative vehicles that people have talked about in the finances in the states is a, a third-party asset and kind transfer. You know, meaning that. Whether it's a, um, an, a an actual piece of real estate or another asset that the state has, um, not a, a traditional public-private partnership, but actually transferring one of those assets, um, it's been talked about in the past. It's been talked about the Canadian model where whole bridges and assets and airports are transferred into the pension. It does two things: it lowers obligations for the the capital call immediately, but then then if there's a secondary or a third market. Um, that appreciation of that asset is then realized in cash on the balance sheet of a pension. Um, is that something that you uh, would be interested in? So, uh, you know, I, I always try and distance my personal beliefs sometimes from wh- how I would vote uh, and to maybe unpack the little bit. I would try and say, what is going to be the impact on this district? What's going to be the impact on Bridgeport, Pilsen, McKinley Park, Brighton Park, Chinatown? Now, if it's going to adversely affect uh, a significant portion of uh, the actual people that live here, that I'm going to vote no for their sake. Uh, my own personal belief and and looking at my own situation, I don't think it would it would impact me. So uh, I'm just one resident, though. <laughs> yeah, and of course, we, in Canada, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are, of course, owned by the Canadian Teachers Union, and that's a classic example of an asset transfer. Maybe the Blackhawks would be better if they were owned by the pension union at the moment. I don't know. Are we going after Bowman now? <laughs> we're, going after, we're going Come after on, Bowman. Man. Uh, hey, plot twist. We, we only have a few minutes left, and there's, there's a lot more to get to. One of, one of the things I did want to get to, again, health care is going to be an enormous issue uh, on the national level and the state level. Uh, and there's been talk uh, of rekindling some of the health care initiatives that uh, Obamacare was thought to have solved, one of them being the high-risk insurance pool that used to exist in, in the state of Illinois. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, John's father has worked for many years in, in health insurance in Cook County because that is the largest expense that, that Cook County faces is paying for, for health care. Uh, here in this district, and I'm sure you're aware, you know, four hospitals are, are going to close and merge Correct. and open up other care centers. 
I, I happen to think that healthcare could be one of the the, the biggest economic drivers uh, for the state of Illinois, but also one of the biggest economic challenges. And I wondered if you could just take us quickly down some of your what, what kind of policies you would look to do with us. So I think there's a lot that can be done in terms of prevention. So right now in the city of Chicago, we have a really high ho- uh, homeless population, and, it, and it's only going up. And uh, looking at the cost of hospitalization, the average cost of hospitalization in Illinois for the um, less fortunate people to be going to the hospital, what one hospital visit costs versus wait for probably the, the idea that most people look at as the most progressive I have versus something like a universal income. Could we get uh, in-house district two, a pilot program for homeless veterans, homeless seniors, that we pay them $1,000 a month, a la Yang Gang style? Uh, if we gave somebody $1,000 a month, could they afford medication? Could they afford the copay for treatments? that would keep them out of the hospital. It's not a one-size-fits-all, probably wouldn't be good for all situations, but we need to start gathering data. And I think that a universal income is one of the ways where we can start looking at what are the net results after a year or two years on universal income. If you had 100 or 1,000 people, what are we looking at here? You know, We're looking at a couple hundred thousand dollars over the course of a few years. I think it's worth it to find out, and Illinois can really start pioneering the way to, to getting solutions. So U- UBI has been used in Scandinavian countries, but never here. There's the Swedish part of me, the Olsen. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and Alaska has the longest-standing uh, program. Of course, that. yeah. They, well, but I mean, they're different because that's oil money, am I correct? That's a guaranteed check. But that's not necessarily a UBI-style thing of what you're discussing. And it's an interesting point because uh, Illinois – uh, that has been mentioned here in the state, uh, and it's not, you know, kind of a crackpot left-wing theory. Actual serious, rational economists at the University of Chicago have proposed that as a, as a possible solution. But you know, one of the other things that is going to hit, and and I think you you brought up this when you talked about the population that that the state is losing, is that we are suffering, you know, a very high tax crunch, and we are suffering. Um, as you mentioned, kind of a hollowing out of some of our neighborhoods. You know, as the city has grown uh, in a way more exclusive and wealthier, uh, other parts of it have fallen off. Um, the property taxes still are an enormous burden, particularly in this district. Can you speak briefly to how you would try to reform that? Well, I think we need to look at our empty storefronts. The, the, every <clears throat> empty storefront is an opportunity for tax. And in the last 10, 20 years, we've had large companies, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll mention them by name, something like Amazon and Walmart, that destroy mom and pop shops. And because they're so much more sophisticated players in the market, they can elaborately um, declare their assets in a way that they're not paying as much taxes, all the while shortchanging mom and pop out of jobs, out of uh, the local economy, out of our tax base. So if we could find innovative ways, maybe it's solar panels, maybe it's marijuana dispensaries to start filling these mom and pop shops. Uh, you know, I love coffee shops, but do we really need a, a Starbucks to? To, to unhinge what we've got going on in the neighborhood with local coffee shops. Maybe we could have found something different. Maybe a good idea, it's tax revenue, but we need to fill up the, the, the local tax base and grow it as big as we can. And <laughs> I'll reassure everybody, <laughs> uh, I'm a Democrat, never going to hand that card in, but uh, that is something that traditionally maybe Republicans would talk about. And real quickly, you know, we again, we only have a couple of minutes left. And again, thank you so much for your time. We thank have you. been speaking with uh, Byron Martinez Olson. He is a candidate for the Illinois uh, House District, the second district. That's a seat currently held by Teresa Ma. Uh, one of the things that's been talked about uh, quite a lot in our district, and this is a very Bridgeport question, is population density. We don't have a lot of it. Uh, and there's been a number of plans that have come up from from CMAP and other places to try to get that up. What's your take on on some of the ideas to build, you know, larger, denser real estate in this area? 
to get our ward, which is one of the smallest, uh, up to uh, maybe a bigger scale that could support more of these mom-and-pop retail stops? We don't need to be Wrigleyville. Go Sox. But we can look at the developments around the Remova, and we can look at some of the developments. Maybe think of new developments around White Sox Park uh, to really piggyback off of what we already have coming out of the neighborhood. So if the Remova is going to be a venue, if White Sox Park already is a venue, maybe we could start getting some ancillary businesses that build off that. Wonderful. Well, Bobby, good luck in your coming election. The uh, primary is March 17th. Am I crazy about that? March 17th? No, it is St. Patrick's Day. Day. (laughs) Is there anything you want uh, listeners to know before we we leave? Your vote is your voice, and uh, we fought very long to have it, so make sure you use it. If you don't use it, you don't have it. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. One, uh, for people that are looking for uh, more information, uh, your website is uh, Bobby4Chicago, B-O-B-B-Y, for, that's actually not the number four, it's F-O-R, <laughs> Chicago. have to, you know, some people do crazy things with their websites. Bobby4Chicago.com, you can find out more about this candidate. And, in fact, all the candidates are at Ballotpedia. That's a pretty good resource for the state of Illinois. And, uh, of course, you've done interviews uh, with our local newspapers as well. Thank so, you. Bobby, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have Roy Jimenez. He is candidate for the third Senate district. Am I correct in that? These, there's so many districts. Why do we have so many districts? I, guess House, uh, I think it's Senate 1. <laughs> Senate 1. Why do we have so many districts? What's going on here? Well, we're about to have reapportionation. <laughs> New maps, baby. <laughs> New maps, baby. All right. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Radio Free. Did you know you can now stream Lumpen Radio on your favorite internet-connected devices? Just say, hey Alexa, play WLPN. Lumpen Radio from TuneIn. And don't forget, you can take us with you anywhere you go. Download our app in the App Store. Lumpen Radio, make all your robots play us. Welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpen Radio. We have another interview. Today we're talking to the candidate for Senate District 1, Froy Jimenez. Welcome. Welcome. How you doing? It's good to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you for your time. So you're running for uh, First District Senate. Uh, the seat is currently held by uh, Tony Munoz. Am I correct, Tony Munoz? Uh, tell us a little bit, you know, we're, as we've uh, John mentioned to Bobby, you know, we uh, as a community radio station, we're trying to make space for all the candidates to introduce themselves to people and get their message across. Uh, I think, you know, the obvious place to start is, um, and we did talk about this with every candidate too, you know, running, running unfortunately, these days is extremely expensive uh, in any level uh, of election right now. Um, why do you, why, first of all, why are you doing this? You know what I mean? Why are you putting yourself through this? And what makes you think you're qualified to represent people uh, in this district? Well, thanks. Good question. Uh, the reason I'm running is because uh, many of us are tired of having the same politicians that are continuing to misuse our tax dollars and making decisions on our behalf and those decisions benefiting special interests, benefiting those that are insiders in Springfield, that are insiders in government, while our tax dollars should be dedicated for decisions that benefit the many, the working class people. There isn't that champion that when it comes to make a decision that is using our tax dollars for families, for people that are, are uh, can least afford it, uh, we don't have somebody that's a voice in Springfield for that. And uh, quite honestly, I am tired of the same dinosaurs in power that are making decisions against our best interest. 
Now, you, your background is as a CPS teacher, correct? Yes. Uh, not only have I taught for over 12 years as a history teacher at Chicago Public Schools, but I've also coached, and uh, I've earned the distinction of Coach of the Year here in Chicago, uh, girls soccer, and I was also uh, nominated to be as a Golden Apple um, teacher. And so uh, whatever I've done in my life, uh, I've done through uh, basically harder work than my opponents. Uh, I am an immigrant. I came here uh, from Mexico. And so my, uh, my background is somebody that has always gone against the odds and against the grain. And that is something that I'm doing right now, uh, basically challenging the democratic powers that be on behalf of working class people. You told us a little bit about your background, but but talk about that. Talk about how you got into teaching and, and service. Sure. Uh, well, um, it was through education and it was through uh, my coaches that motivated me that I earned uh, scholarships to go to, to college. And so um, basically out of college, my first job was to work for Jesus Chuy Garcia um, in the late 90s when um, Mayor Daly uh, was still around, and Chuy Garcia was a, a beacon of hope for people that were tired of machine politics. So, so that was my first experience, and that was how I cut my teeth in politics. Uh, Chuy Garcia taught me a lot about uh, doing the right thing and standing up uh, against powerful people when the community needs it. And so um, I continued down that road, and now uh, I have been able to use the experience, legislative experience that I used, that I earned in Springfield after working with him. I also worked on the House of Representatives. And so not only do I have teaching experience and life experience, and do I live the struggles that are, you know, many Chicagoans are living, but I also have that legislative experience to hit the ground running and to be able to basically legislate on behalf of the people that need it most, working class people. We just talked about the fact that this session uh, with this new governor has been particularly active. You had adult use uh, recreational cannabis passed, um, the Reproductive Health Act passed, um, uh, the ERA was passed, uh, a huge capital bill, um, all of these different things. Uh, tell us about a uh, little bit about, with your legislative experience, what you think are uh, opportunities that, you, that you'd like to see happen. Well, while I think that uh, Governor Pritzker had a very good year, and in contrast to our former governor, for uh, Governor Rauner, he was able to do stuff as opposed to, you know, uh, have it be, you know, locked in a stalemate. I do, I want to give uh, Governor Pritzker credit for, you know, passing uh, many pieces of legislation. What I am disappointed and what I think a lot of uh, Chicagoans and, and um, hardworking um, people from Illinois is that you mentioned the Capitol bill. We wound up increasing taxes on hardworking people uh, when it comes to gasoline, when it comes to gas taxes. That is something that I think, uh, had I been in the state Senate, I would have fought harder uh, against because I don't think that working class people, every time we need revenue, we basically hit the backs of the, uh, of the working class people. And I am very disappointed that we went from 19 cents uh, a gallon to 38 cents a gallon. That is not a graduated way to tax people. That is hitting them 100%. And for people that are on fixed incomes, 
for those retirees, for those people that are working check to check, that's a big blow to them. And that is only the beginning. There was a lot of other fees and there was a lot of taxes that people don't really want to talk about. I'm the voice that's going to say, you know what? I don't think that everything is going so well in our state. I think that people are leaving because they're disgusted or disappointed. And there's a lot of things wrong with Illinois. We need to fix things here in Illinois. There's a big pension problem. So as much as there was a little progress in the last legislative session, I do think that part of the same politicians were taking some of the same decisions that basically winds up hurting working class people. And so I hope that when people think about how their pockets book books are being hit and how taxes are, are basically stifling them, uh, small businesses and working class people uh, in general, they, they know that they have an option. They will have a champion in Froy Jimenez and myself that will stand up and say it like it is. You talk about those fees. Uh, electric vehicles actually were increased as well. I think it was three times uh, something like that. So even folks who are trying to do al- alternative methods uh, to gas were taxed significantly. I thought that was a big disappointment. I thought that instead of encouraging electric cars and innovative ways to help our environment, we wind up stifling that. We wind up, you know, uh, going backwards when it comes to that. I think we should be providing incentives for people to buy those type of vehicles with that type of technology that wind up, you know, being innovative. Uh, Another thing that I thought was particularly interesting that nobody has brought up is we wound up easing the taxes on big trucks and uh, other vehicles coming from Wisconsin and from other states. And I think that we're losing revenue when it comes to, you know, uh, protecting these big companies. That's what I'm against. I'm against when politicians make cozy deals with special interests, with companies or with people that are insiders. And we wound up basically doing the working class people a disadvantage. And we wound up, you know, uh, not empowering the people that need it most. You talk about the... uh um, taxes. There's a referendum coming up in the general election, uh, the, the fair tax referendum. Uh, what, is, what is your position on that? Well, I think if you ask almost every person that is running for office, they're going to say that they are in favor of it because it, it is a good piece of legislation. I think it, uh, the voters should uh, approve it. But he, I'll, So I am in favor of it. But I'll, I'll, I want to say this, and that people won't say because I think that not enough people have the courage to challenge the powers that be and say, we are wasting uh, tax dollars. We are having uh, capital bills which have very uh, big pork incentives and member initiatives that don't wind up helping most of the people in Illinois. You wind up looking through that bill, that $45 billion capital tax bill, and some of those items have nothing to do with repairing our roads. Some of those items are sweeteners for people that voted the right way. And what I propose, I propose we have a system in Illinois in which we, the taxpayers, know how are we spending our tax dollars. And there is, now that we're, you know, in 2020, there is a website uh, for each one of the members, and there is a website that will tell you how we are wasting our tax dollars, how those tax dollars are being spent, and that we have checks and balances at the point of making the decisions. Because very few people understand that in Springfield, you wait until the last days of the session, nobody knows what's going on, and then they approve a whole bunch of pieces of legislation, and nobody really knows about it. And that's problematic. Of course, the uh, you specific to the gas tax, there's a lockbox on that, right, which was passed by referendum in the state. Correct, yes. Uh, uh, but on that topic, I do think that we... Um, 
can find ways of repairing our roads, but we don't have to do it in um, in a corrupt fashion. You've, you've um, probably read the stories of how some of the lobbyists and some of the special interests that benefited from the capital bill also benefited from you know sweet deals uh, with politicians that were in charge of that particular committee. And, and I'll be honest, I think that's wrong. There's there's too much of you know scratch my back and I'll scratch your back in Springfield. And I think we need more accountability. Uh, I also think we need that when it comes to education. I propose uh, that we finally pass an elective school board here in Chicago and an elective police accountability board. So um, there is much to do about cleaning up Chicago and Illinois politics, and very few people are willing to take it head on and to call out some people that are making the decisions that are at the top, and very few people have the courage to do so. I am going to be able to do that, and I don't have any qualms with upsetting and, and shaking Springfield up. Now you talked about the police. You know, obviously, uh, the Chicago Police Department's operating under a consent decree right now. We've lost our chief of police as well. We're looking for another one. We've got to enter him in. I know public safety is one of your your planks. Um, how you, you mentioned obviously an elected police board, but how would you reform a department that has paid out uh, millions of dollars in settlements to people for uh, abuses? What what do you do to, I guess, there's two questions here. What do you do to regain the trust uh, of a community such as uh, the Latino and the African-American community in this city that simply does not trust the police in, in many ways? Mm-hmm. And how do you get the police uh, the tools they need or that you may feel they need to do their jobs effectively and confront public safety issues? Great question, Jimmy. Um, first and foremost, I um, advocated in the last um, hearings for uh, CPD and the uh, selection of a new uh, top uh, commissioner is that we need to hire more community policing. You know, uh, I am for hiring more officers, but in particular, I think the way that you develop trust with uh, the communities, different neighborhoods in Chicago, is by uh, being able to not have a traditional view of law enforcement here in Chicago. I I personally know um, community policing officers that have developed very good relationships with their communities. And so I think that's a start. Instead of in in the last budget, I don't know if you knew this, but we wound up uh, diminishing the amount of CAPS officers that are available. I thought that was wrong. I think we should be increasing them. As a matter of fact, uh, other aldermen uh, proposed that as well. I remember Harry Osterman, who's on the north side, also proposed more hiring of CAPS officers. But to go further into the question, I do believe that this accountability board should should say as it is. We do have some uh, cases of police officers that need uh, additional training and they need additional support because the way things are being that uh, that some uh, officers are caring about their job aren't necessarily um, in line with best practices. And I will say this, our officers are overworked and there's many officers that are now retiring and we're not replacing those officers with um, you know, new police officers. And so uh, that goes to the heart of your question is, um, when you have an un- understaffed um, police department, when you have an understaffed um, Chicago Public Schools, when you have an understaffed restaurant, 
problems happen. And so what I say is we need to have better training. We need to have the sufficient amount of police officers on the street for public safety. And we need to have the will to be able to train them appropriately so that they're um, going in the direction of more community policing and less the old style of, of uh, law enforcement. Well, one of the other major issues, though, and, and we brought this up with our, our last guest, uh, you know, we have a mental health crisis in this state. We have obviously a drug crisis as well. But I mean, the jails are de facto um, in, in some places mental institutions, and um, that needs to change. What would you do as a legislature, a legislator, excuse me, to address that? Well, I think some steps have already been taken, and I agree with some of the policies that uh, within the last couple of years have decriminalized, you know, small, uh, petty, uh, offenses. I don't think we should be having uh, packed jails with with these type of uh, infractions. I will say this, though. Uh, there is also uh, a need to make sure that if there is severe offenses, if there is uh, crimes committed uh, with armed weapons, we should be uh, having those people responsible and not having a green light for serious crime. So I propose, number one, continuing at the state level uh, legislation that will uh, not decriminalize uh, small uh, petty offenses, but at the same time balancing uh, the, the message of saying, hey, you know what, uh, we're also going to make sure that those that commit offenses are not back on the street. Certainly, we shouldn't have, um, you know, what happened a, a couple weeks ago where somebody um, was let go on bail and uh, this person had a, uh, a record for, you know, uh, committing crimes with armed weapons. I think there is a balance and I think we shouldn't treat complicated problems with, with blanket solutions. So, you know, I feel like um, I'm open-minded to both ends of, you know, how we should deal with uh, criminal justice. And I think I'm a voice of reason, and I think that's what people want. One of the things that will come up this session, you mentioned kind of the crush that happens around May, uh, is, is the expansion of, of gaming, the expansion of video gaming, sports betting, and, and a potential new casino in Chicago. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this? I think that we shouldn't rush I know that there is a need for revenue, but if we rush and implement legislation that it later on is going to cause more social problems, I think that we will be doing the people of Illinois and the people of Chicago a great injustice. So I am for having creative ways to you know, have Illinois have more revenue, but at the same time, if we don't have a diligent way of saying this is how we're going to make certain you know, gambling processes work. And this is how we're going to avoid the, the social ills that come with uh, possibly enabling, you know, gambling at, at certain parts of Chicago. Uh, we, need, we need to really think about the decisions that we're making. And I think that one um, similar example is what happened with the legalization of pot in that we are able to get a lot of revenue. I think the, the, the daily newspapers reported over $10 million in a short amount of time. Now, that's great, but have we thought about some of the other consequences that come with legalizing the I think it's, it's, it's great that we move forward, but I don't think we should rush uh, when it comes to legalization of, of gambling as well. 
one of your other uh, campaign platforms is trying to reduce regulations and burdens on small businesses. Can you speak a little bit about what exactly you have in mind when you're talking about um, trying to smooth the way for people to open businesses? What what exactly do you see as um, hindrances to people uh, opening new outlets in uh, this city and state? Well, I think that uh, as I go knocking on doors and as I talk to people on the southwest side of Chicago, the, the answer is always the same. We don't have a system that is fair in the analysis and in the evaluations of our property taxes. I talk to you know mom and shop places all the time and they say, Freud, do you know how much my bill was? And this is unfair because there is no specific formula. We don't have the transparency that says, this is what we look for when we evaluate how much you have to pay in property taxes. So I think we have a broken system. I think we have a system in which the uh, particular Chicago Tribune reported that sometimes people were guessing as to how much you should have to pay in property taxes, and that's wrong. I know that uh, in electing uh, Fritz Kage, he has um, gone to Springfield, but unfortunately, the powerful forces in Springfield and the special interests did not empower him enough to pass legislation when it would come to a, a real system, a, um, a transparent way of letting people know here is what you will be taxed for, and this is the criteria, and we're going to make it fair. I think this is something that needs uh, more people like myself that say, yes, I agree with Mr. Kagi. We need to have um, a system in which you know, business owners will know what it is that they're having to pay for and, and what taxes you know, basically go with the criteria. And I believe that people that see that the small businesses in particular, that see that they're being uh, put in the same category as large corporations, I think that's wrong. We shouldn't be making laws and we shouldn't be passing legislation that applies to all businesses the same. We should have a big difference between the big conglomerates and major corporations and small businesses so that we can have incentives and not punish small businesses with petty uh, red tape legislation. You've also talked, um, you know, a lot about uh, reducing the burden on taxpayers, but you've also said you feel there's wasteful spending in Illinois. Can you identify a couple places where you can give me concrete examples of things that you think were wastefully done? Absolutely. I think that um, the amount of local governments in Illinois is uh, at the top of the nation. We have so much duplicity when it comes to, um, you know, boards, uh, when it comes to uh, you know, like uh, the public uh, safety when it comes to the. Well, can, Cook I, can I just? And I don't yes. mean to cut you off, but you know, in, earlier in the show, you said you wanted an, two more boards. You said you wanted an elected school yes, board and you're a police right. board. But what that brings accountability. What I'm saying is, when there is boards like a mosquito abatement board, where there is, you know, boards that clearly don't have a need for input in the uh, in the education or in the public safety, um, there is some. There's a lot of uh, township governments. And there is a lot of uh, basically positions that are there to empower and fuel patronage and to empower and fuel uh, the type of corruption that we have uh, in our state. Yes, uh, I did talk about the need for a voice for, for people uh, to voice out their opinions in Chicago when it comes to schools and when it comes to public safety. That's because Chicago is one of the only cities in the whole state that does not already have that. 
so uh, going back to the duplicity of local governments and the duplicity of um, boards and the duplicity of government, that's one way that I think we can um, definitely consolidate some uh, of the same services that can can be done better with with not employing so many uh, people. I think what you're uh, you're talking about is there's something like 1,200 uh, units of government in the state of Illinois, which is like five times the next uh, state when you talk about units of government. Um, and that goes from everything from mosquito abatement to uh, obviously school districts, water districts, and so on. Um, w- you know, one of the things you mentioned is is the uh, taxes. You mentioned the obligations of, of the uh, financial status of, of Illinois right now. What are some solutions? You know, obviously the pension is the biggest issue, our obligation to not only teachers but first responders and, and all of our um, employees in the state. Um, a lot of this this budget was going to that. How do, how do, what do you think about the, uh, the structuring or restructuring? Well, we'll say this. I am going to defend like hell the pensions for the people that have dedicated years of their service, public service, for us, whether it be on the street or in the classroom. Those people, like myself, have dedicated so many years of their life, and I think it would be wrong to mess with their pensions. That being said, I think that uh, the pension crisis is something that it can be broken down into we need additional revenue and we need to stop wasteful spending. The additional revenue should be coming from um, the uh, graduated income tax because I think that is something that definitely helps out the working class people. They're not having to pay as many taxes as some of the others, and it evens out so we have a level playing field. That is on the revenue side. I also discuss uh, the the ideas of new revenues as long as we do it appropriately and we do, don't do it uh, in a rushed way that will later on give us more social ills. On the other end, the wasteful spending, we spend, we have a system, a tradition in Springfield in which we don't really uh, monitor and check the amounts of member initiatives and the amount of pork projects that each senator and each state representative has. And so what I would do is I would definitely uh, call for uh, a better system of um, basically um, having committees uh, decide where should we be spending this money and if it is actually necessary or if it is a legislative reward for voting one way or another. And I have mentioned the, uh, the need for transparency and for the need to post how are we spending our tax dollars. So uh, I think it, it, it goes both ways. We have to increase revenues via these new sources, but also limit our spending. And I know that's something that you know a Democrat doesn't necessarily say, but I think it's necessary. I think the working class people are saying, what's happening with my tax dollars? Why do you continue to raise taxes and where is it? Because I drive down CERMAC every day. And <laughs> there's a whole bunch of potholes and there's many uh, areas in the first district, which their needs are not being addressed, but yet we're still paid. They started charging us more taxes July 1st, yet most of our needs, we don't see the the dividends. We don't see the results. So I think it's about high time we have a better way of deciding how we manage our money and how we manage our tax dollars so that we are putting it in the direction of our best needs. You know, one of the things we've talked about today is is the need to address uh, affordability of, of housing in the in the state, uh, the need to address mental issues, 
Um, and, and one of the alternatives that has been proposed to help with homelessness particularly has been universal basic income. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think there's um, other ways to address this, this point. Not that I wouldn't consider it, but um, I would definitely say that the incentives that we give to, to small businesses that are, that are wanting to make it, the incentives that we give uh, as far as um, I'm not a big proponent of, uh, well, let me say this this way. Um, as much as I believe in affordable housing, I believe much more in affordable ownership. I think here in communities like Bridgeport and communities uh, in other places of the city, we need to start empowering young families, not necessarily to encourage them to rent around here, but to encourage them to have a way to, so that they can own here in Bridgeport, so they can own in Pilsen, so they can own in other parts of Chicago and other parts of Illinois. Just by saying that I'm going to empower or we are going to empower you in order to be able to rent, I think is is doing is not doing as much as we can be. And so there are plenty of ways that we can encourage, uh, you know, first-time homeowners or your young families to get involved in their communities. And especially if you are somebody that, you know, is a first responder or somebody that is dedicated to public service, there should be more ways for you to have an incentive to buy and and get uh, an opportunity to own your own home. And I think that's the wave of the future. I think that's a... Uh, a, a smarter way of looking at this housing. Um, I think you bring up a very complex. good point with talking about financial literacy and, and uh, I teach financial literacy in high school. Well, there you go. <laughs> there one, you go. One, one of the issues to your point is, and, and we see a lack of, you know, there's been initiatives on micro lending and there, and there's been certain initiatives, but there, we don't see, I think enough financial institutions that, that have that as a mission as well, that, that back that up. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, the what has seen what we have seen in the last four years is we have seen an empowerment of big corporations. We get we're giving them tax breaks, we're giving them incentives uh, so they can borrow money. But where is that same you know will? Where is that same dedication to empower working class people, to empower middle class people? We need to have ideas that say you know what we need to be able to have uh, a very um, you know, thought out process of how to empower people that want to uh, have a loan for a business or want to have a loan to, you know, buy their own home. We don't do that enough. And I think we, there's a lot more that we can do in Springfield. We can put our heads together, but the willpower needs to be there. And I think sometimes why we don't have progress is because there's a lot of special interest in Springfield that wind up deterring the these new ideas so the status quo and the establishment has to go now i am running against a person that has been in power for over 22 years that is too much i believe in term limits i believe that the reason that illinois is in a financial crisis is because of the mismanagement of career politicians i don't want to see that anymore i want to uh propose term limits and i want to really get the people to um you know back that up because that is the only way we're going to have 
uh, public officials that are going to do their job because their heart is in it, not because th- there's some in, in it for themselves. For I got to cut you off right there because we are out of time at the top of the hour. You are listening to WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM. More information on Freud can be found at his website, which is F-R-O-Y Jimenez. That's J-I-M-E-N-E-Z dot com. Uh, Freud, thank you so much for making can time with us. Can I just say us. one, one Absolutely, last thing? Absolutely, please. Uh, one last thing I'd like to say is uh, I would like to formally challenge my opponent to a debate. The fact that we're having these conversations are great, but we would like to have you know both people that are running for office uh, to be able to answer these questions. And so uh, I would like to let the, the people know that uh, the more information, the more we have shows like this, uh, the better. But I'd like to get my opponent involved and let him answer some questions side by side and let the mess band, mess band win. Thank, Thank you, Freud. We'll be right back. Uh, you are listening to Radio Free Bridgeport. This is WLPN, as I've mentioned. Coming up right after the break, Jared Rabin, and we'll be right back after these tunes. Hey, welcome back. You are listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. This is Lumpen Radio. Up right now, live in our Studio A, Ari Shellis brings you Jared Rabin. Kick it off, boys. But 
footsteps, the road's twisted and it's long. You'll only end up right back where you started from.
I'm trying to do is change my point of view Still be the glue that holds it together under this weight So if you're going my way, Blue Jay Let me ride your wings to see everything something. Uh, how's it going out there, everybody? Listening to Jared Rabin. I got Kyle Myers here with me on the bass. Jordan Kozer on the drums playing some of my tunes. This next one is called uh, Burning Behind Me.
head just refused to grow up and try to turn the pain. Have you? songs <clears throat> the new record that's coming out March 27th it's called No Direction um, this next tune is Wildfire World these guys know it as <laughs> Acid Rain Wishing for how it used to be Nostalgic for the illusions of some other century Nobody can see that I'm not in my head but I'm not listening If I could explain when the world's a wildfire and it's pouring acid rain It ain't gonna matter what anyone's saying was going down They didn't have no reservations Cause when it all hits the fan They won't be around and Nobody can see That I'm not in my head But I'm not listening If I could explain When the world's a wildfire And it's pouring acid rain It ain't gonna matter What anyone's saying
signal for one more. Um, and then, thanks for listening out there, everybody, in the snow and the traffic. This last one's called Something Left to Say.
That was Jared Rabin from Studio A with our own Ari Shellist in a John Daly session. Coming right up after the break, we're going to be speaking with Christina Rogers. She is the event director for C2E2, which kicks off this weekend. Now we want to thank the folks that make the station possible. Here's a message from the folks that underwrite Lumpen Radio. You're listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM. We'll be right back. Your vote matters. That's why every election night, Lumpin' Radio provides wall-to-wall coverage of the issues, the politicians, and the vote counts as they come in. Join us March 17th live from 6 p.m. as our panel brings you the latest news from the polling booths and live cut-ins from the candidates. It's election night as only Lumpin' can do it. Join host Mario Smith, Jamie Trecker, and John Daly March 17th at 6. And remember, your vote matters. Welcome back to WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio. This is Radio Free Bridgeport, and we've got one of the organizers of C2E2, which is coming up. Uh, Christina Rogers is on the phone. How you doing, Christina? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're inside. It's snowing outside, so we're warm and toasty. <laughs> it's Fat Tuesday. <laughs> There's punch games. Yeah, and, you know, the C2E2 is the happiest time of the year because we're both big comic book nerds. So, oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, we actually had Tim Seeley on here, what, two weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, I think Tim's going to be at the show, and, and we've had a bunch of other people who yeah. are actually going to be tabling over there. And, of course, Tim is uh, oh, Chicago nice. Chicago uh, comic book royalty, as I like to call uh-huh. him. So though that probably would embarrass him and, and Gene Ha as well. So, um, <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit, first of all, for people who don't know what C2E2 is, it's down at McCormick Place. Uh, excuse me. It is down at McCormick Place. Am I correct? It is down at McCormick Place. I always get that screwed up. Can you tell us a little bit about, for the novice, what C2E2 is? Yeah, absolutely. So it's coming up this weekend, February 28th through March 1st. And C2E2 is a comic and entertainment expo that just collects all of the very best of pop culture and drops it into one very warm place for you guys to hang out in all weekend. So we have celebrity guests, awesome comic creators. We have anime voice actors just running the full gamut. And it's really expanded uh, the the focus of of not not just the uh, the folks attending, but um, the folks presenting it at your uh, your event. Yeah, we we really take to heart being an entertainment expo and not just a comic con. Uh, we run a lot of comic cons at Read Pop, but this allows us to say, if I'm a fan of anime and I love anime, what does my show look like and what do I want to come for? If I love comics and I'm a huge, huge backbend nerd, who are we bringing in and how do we appeal? So that no matter what you're into, we have, we have a whole day's worth of programming for you. And C2E2, I, I remember when it started, it, it, it started out kind of small and there were other 
you know, yeah. bigger conventions such as Wizard World <laughs> yep. and stuff like that, you guys have really become one of the largest now comic and entertainment cons in, in North America. You know, maybe only San Diego yeah. is bigger. How, how did that growth happen? And it, it, it's kind of surprising because to me, it still is a little bit under the radar. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it, it's not as, you know, San Diego shuts down for a week for, for their Comic yeah. Con. Uh, I haven't seen any closures on Lakeshore Drive uh, so far <laughs> yet. Uh, yet. Uh, you know, well, the Traffic snow's... does get a little thick on Saturday morning over here. Yeah, snow's coming. But can, can you tell us a little bit about the growth of, of C2E2 and how you guys have managed to build it up into, into this major thing? Yeah, it's C2E2 is really a labor of love in the team. And it's the focus that they have placed on how much we love Chicago. And we do have some of the best fans out here, just kind and excited and really focused on community. And that's how we approach the show. So watching it grow over the last 11 years has been really an honor. Like, we were very emotional last year. It was our biggest year. We brought in 90,000 people. Um, It was a massive show, and it went so well. And it's all because of the community. You know, it's that we really care about what Chicago wants. You know, we're not coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do. It's what are our fans asking us for, and how can we make it even better? And how many people are you expecting this time around? Uh, this year, I'm looking at probably a little over ninety-five thousand. That's incredible. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Are there any? I mean, you know, I, I, you, you say this is a labor of love. What What is your particular yeah. area of focus? Are you a comic person, anime? Uh, what are I you nerd come by my geekiness. <laughs> I come by my geekiness very honestly. I used to manage a comic book store way back in the day. Um, so I'm a big comic nerd, and then Star Trek. I grew up watching Star Trek with my dad. Um, it was my first exposure to the geek world, and I was I was a goner. It was all Picard. All Picard. Well, Picard's got a new. All sh- Picard. And of course, Thursday. Uh, you have Thursday circled on your calendar then now. I, I oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you, who are, who were the guys you're most excited then to be able to present? I know that uh, Bill Shatner's going to be there, obviously. Uh, yeah. But who who are some of the the big names that you're really excited to be able to present at, at CTBT this year? Uh, this year on the entertainment side, we have Stephen Amell coming, and that's really exciting because Arrow just wrapped up. We have Terry Brooks and Rainbow Rowell on the literary side, which I'm a big Terry Brooks fan, so that's mm-hmm. really exciting for me. Um, but my big, my big two are Gail Simone, who I've been a longtime fan of, and then Team X-Men is coming. We have Jonathan Hickman, Jerry Duggan, Benjamin Pierce, Leah Williams, and Teeny Howard all in the house. And they are presenting a very, very cool panel that I am going to miss, as usual. But I look forward to hearing about it. That's amazing. Yeah, John Hickman, of course, for people that don't know, just relaunched uh, the X-Men over at Marvel Comics in a, in a pretty major thing. And uh, Gil yeah, Simone... Yeah, and this team are killing it. Yeah, and Gil Simone, I think, is actually going to be on Radio Free. So uh, we'll, we'll hold oh, off. Good. Yeah, we'll hold off on talking about her. But if you've seen any movies with a certain bat-wielding uh, ex-girlfriend <laughs> of the Joker, then you know what Gil Simone has done. Um, talk to us a little bit about what goes into making this happen? Because, you know, this isn't something you just throw up in a weekend and walk away from <laughs> and, and hope it goes off. Well, this is a massive expo. And I know as the event director, uh, you're probably putting out a lot of fires. And again, we thank you so much for taking some time out to talk with us. There could be things burning right now that we're not aware of. But tell us a little bit about what, first of all, how long does this take to get going? And, and what's, what are some of the challenges you have to deal with? Um. It takes us a little over a year. You know, we're, we've already started working on C2E2 2021 and lining up guests. Um, but the real work starts right after the show when we do our post-show survey. And it sounds so boring, but it's true. You know, we really do read through everything that people say, what they loved, what they didn't love, what they want for next year. Um, and the biggest obstacles we have going around that is just scheduling. You know, people, other 
creators and entertainment guests and actors, they all have lives. Um, they could be filming production. They could be in the middle of a very big book series and not able to make it out. Um, so it's going from, all right, if this is list A and then these people aren't available, what's, who's the second best people that we can get in and how, how do we best balance that for our fans? What are some of the things that have surprised you when uh, you've through the evolution of the of the show? Um, <laughs> I think the things that surprise me are the cosplay. Like it doesn't surprise me how popular cosplay is, but what surprises me is every single year they're bringing to us an ingenious new problem to try to help them figure out how to get around because people are starting to get into robotics and you know <laughs> we have security measures so we got to talk through that people always want to bring in um psychic animals and we got to talk through that uh people large, bring swords. In <laughs> large swords yeah and it's stuff like that where it's really uh the devil is in the details it's always the little things that trip us up and uh, you know people one year we had somebody ask if they could bring in their horse and, and the oh horse God. is a very integral part of their cosplay okay did they bring the horse in no, we did have to say no. No okay. horses. Sorry, guys. Yeah. I, I don't blame you on that one. <laughs> um, what What are some of the, the key moments that you've had? How long have you been with the show, first of all? Um, I've been with C22 for five years. Okay. What What are some of the memories, the top memories you've had or, or guests that you got to see or even panels that you knew were great that you had to miss because you had to be putting out fires? <laughs> every panel. I always miss every panel. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think my favorite memory was three years ago, we had a fan contact us before the show and let us know that he had met his girlfriend at C2E2 five years prior to that, and he really wanted to propose to her. So we went out of our way and helped, like, we got our video team involved, we allowed him to do it on the main stage, on the main stage right before a really big panel of her favorite guests. Um, and just seeing that moment, and we have a lot of moments like that, you know, that seeing how much this means to people. And what we do is we come in and we build a, a pop culture city for three or four days, but and then we disappear. And it's easy to forget that people take these memories with them their whole lives. And they make friends here, and they meet futures here. And it's just, it's really humbling to be able to be a part of creating that for people. I, I hope the woman said yes. She did say yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I really... <laughs> <laughs> we we always have that moment okay, of like yeah. oh gosh I hope this is <laughs> yeah. with uh, comics as a foundation as as you you've talked about in the evolution of the show. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems that all of the intellectual properties from comic books, from even animation, are seeing their way into either an animation and or a live action um, version through streaming services mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other offerings. Um, and it seems like this is this is constantly a venue to offer uh, new trailers and new announcements. Um, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a new touch point. Have you seen that uh, or are anticipating that to be the case this year? Yes, I am. It's it's great to see on the industry side editors and people from studios walking through Artist Alley and talking with creators and um, bridging those new connections. And I love. You know, I love when our comic books become this really popular property and attention, you know, look at Joe Hill, for instance, Lock and Key just came out and and he's going to be at the show. And it's such a, it's such a great thing to help lift the art in our industry and keep the focus on the core of what a Comic-Con is. And it's, you know, it's Artist Alley, it's those comic creators in there. 
And of course, you know, this week has been a very unusual one in the comic book world with the news about uh, Dan DiDio over at uh, DC Comics. I mean, that's going to be, for John, if you don't know, Dan, uh, who had been the publisher there for 18 years, uh, was unceremoniously let go last Friday. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that is going to be a a hot topic of conversation. Do I dare ask if DC is actually going to be still presenting any panels and stuff? (laughs) (laughs) DC is coming. Um, Jim Lee is going to be there. We have a Spotlight Jim Lee panel. DC is presenting some publishing focus and some books. It'll be very interesting um, to join the conversations at the show about what DCs, where they're going to be putting their feet. Yeah, because uh, that's that's for those of you that follow the comic book industry. Dan uh, was in the middle of doing uh, a pretty or uh-huh. is rumored to be doing a, a very large relaunch of the entire brand called Generation uh, Five. Yeah. So I think that's going to be. I'm kinda so curious. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they talked about Generation mm-hmm. 5 at New York Comic Con, and, right. um, you know, they've been teasing it for months and months. It's going to be, I'm curious if they're going to be moving forward with it or yeah. putting it to the side. And, of course, Joe Hill, uh, you know, has, as you mentioned, Joe Hill, he's got a comic book line out now from D.C. as well, uh, the Hill House uh, imprint. And uh, Dan had, of course, been heavily rumored, at least, to be bringing in a number of new creators from TV, particularly from, uh, you know, the Arrowverse and, and the Greg Berlanti DC-scape. So that, that's going to be an interesting topic, I bet, along Artist Alley. Uh, real quick, because mm-hmm. we know you got to go. And, and by the way, thank you, of course, for making space for Sven Gulli at C2E2. Uh, that, <laughs> Always. You know, that's, that's something that, you know, us fans of Berwyn need. Um, where can people get more information? Uh, and I, I, you know... We're a non-commercial station, so I, you know, we can't say, you know, go to do this, but our pass is still available. Can people still get in? Passes are absolutely available, and if you're interested in learning more, you can head over to C2E2.com. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, please, uh, you know, get back to it. We hope you have a great week. If you see two unwashed radio hosts coming around, please treat us kindly. <laughs> You know, uh, we, we I'll may- be an unwashed event director, so let's high five it out. That sounds good. Well, maybe we'll see you on press <laughs> row. <laughs> Christina Rogers, everybody. C2E2, uh, that kicks off this weekend, as she mentioned, at C2E2.com. Christina, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for talking comics. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Hey, we're going to be right back. We're going to be talking with Jared Rabin and his band. We're going to play a couple tunes. Well, I think they're packed up. Yeah, they look like they're packed up. So we'll get them in here in a second. Uh, let's hear a tune, and we'll be right back with Radio Free. Welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport on WLPNLP Chicago, 105.5 FM. You're listening to Lumpin' Radio. We just heard music from Jared Rabin. We've got Jared, Kyle, and Jordan in the studio. Thank you guys very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Sounded great. Ari, yeah. Ari Shellist, as always. Uh, He's a magic man. Made the room sound nice. Yeah, I mean, if, if we didn't have Ari, we would, I don't know what we'd do. Yeah, yeah thanks, we Ari. were saying this room sounds really cool. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny. We have a, a bunch of people. Who, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, the International Anthem Recording Company. Uh, Makai yeah. McRaven yeah, and those yeah. guys. Oh, yeah. Dos Santos. They, they've recorded a bunch of stuff here. Oh, really? Um, I nice. think the... Um, it's a nice room, yeah. Yeah, I know Makai, some of Makai's stuff was here, and I, I know the entire Dos Santos album was here. Cool. So uh, they sneak in here under cover of darkness. Yeah, you guys sounded great. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So tell us, a little, yeah, tell us a little about how you guys got together and, and what's, what's the scoop? What do you guys do? Um, well, we've all kind of been playing together for years and years, and Jordan and I have grew up together since elementary school playing in bands and stuff. Um, this is kind of my solo project, if you will, uh, playing some of my original tunes, and they're kind enough to uh, <laughs> come along for the ride, <laughs> do a bunch of gigs with me and learn the songs and stuff. Very cool, yeah. very yeah. cool. Um, you guys have uh, new music? What are we here to do? What, what's going on? Uh, yeah, it was mostly stuff, except for one song. It was mostly new songs. Um, 
from a new record that's coming out uh, March 27th. Um, yeah, all new stuff. Okay, and that's called No Direction, right? Yeah, called No Direction. Um, first two tracks are out already, like streaming places, um, and the rest of the, the record comes out in March. Where'd you record it? Um, I recorded most of it at my place at home um, in my basement. Um, <laughs> we did the drums. Jordy did the drums over Rack's tracks. Um, oh, cool. Recorded many yeah, things over a long yeah. time. Yeah, um, great spot. But yeah, and then I took, took the drums and did the rest basically in my place. Very oh. cool. Which is, yeah. Now you come from a, an incredible musical background, right? Wasn't you, was it your father? Or your grandfather was in the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, right? Yeah, my grandfather okay. was uh, the first chair violinist in the, the Chicago Symphony for uh, like thirty years or something. He was in the in the orchestra for maybe fifty years or something close to that. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and uh, I had some uncles and cousins who were also um, professional musicians and stuff. So yeah, lots of music in the family. Um, they started me off pretty young. When did you start playing? Um, I started doing Suzuki violin when I was five years old. So, yeah, um, classical music all through my my childhood. Um, yeah. Did you just play violin or did you learn what, – what did you pick up other instrumentals? I started on violin, and then as I got older, I started picking up other stuff like the guitar. Um, picked up, like, the mandolin when I was in high school a little bit. Um, yeah, I got more serious about guitar gradually. I, I uh, played guitar in college. I uh, played – jazz guitar in college and yeah i still keep up with most with uh with all of it though more or less very cool do you yeah. still play violin yeah uh, i do not really classical anymore my classical career sort of peaked like peaked 2006 at age five. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah no at age five for sure um but i i still play uh like some bluegrass fiddle here and there and i uh busted out with like um you know, like a wedding band sometimes, you know, okay. various places. So did you play a lot of the the mix on the, the new recordings? Uh, yeah, I played mostly everything except the drums. I had a couple yeah. horn players, and I had a background singer, um, and then I pretty much did everything else. Oh. Very Just cool. hanging out in the basement, yeah. Yeah, is this your is this the first album or? Uh, no, I have, um, I have one other, and I have an EP, um, both out also. So this is like my second or third. Okay. What yeah. are you guys going to do after this? Um, I have we have a bunch of gigs scheduled for uh, the spring. Uh, we got a record release at a live one on April 11th up in uh, Lincoln Park, sort of a great place, place. we've been going for a yeah. long time. Yeah, uh -huh. me and Jordy started going there in probably, college yeah, at the hall 15 yeah. years ago. <laughs> we've had a lot of fun times See, in that uh, back room. Lubrifonic mm -hmm. on yeah. Thursday nights. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, um, and I have uh, a few tour dates plan for the spring also i'm doing a few west coast dates and a bunch of midwest dates and some by myself some with these guys and yeah i'm just gonna we're keeping it keeping it going through the summer and stuff that is a great room last time i, I was in that room was probably about eight years ago jc brooks was you know just yeah. it, right in the corner and nice. the whole room was uh filled it's a lot of fun yeah it's an awesome i i didn't want to you know I've, I've i did my last record release show at uh space and evanston which is also awesome like in a totally different way but kind of wanted to like just keep it super fun this time i think the live one will be yeah. that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did you guys i mean what, what's your connection with this stuff i mean did you guys grow up playing kind of the roots americana stuff or how did this all kind of come together 
Yeah, I met Jared uh, after college. I went to college with some other guys and grew up near these guys, but okay. not not quite right around there. So I played, you know, Grateful Dead and stuff like that in high school. And then after college, someone introduced me to Jared, and we started playing in a. We actually were playing. Uh, the first band we were in was like progressive rock, instrumental yeah. <laughs> progressive <laughs> rock, like really heavy, like sort of jam bandy, but you know, very different right. than uh, <laughs> kind of what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Jared and I have played in a ton of different bands over the years. In high school, we had kind of a, a jam band. Uh, we've done jazz trios, orchestras. Yeah, I mean, we've pretty much know. everything. Wedding band stuff, mm-hmm. top 40s hits. I mean, we're Jared all basically like anything. professional, yeah. like, you know, working musicians in Chicago. And yeah. this is kind of my, like, original project that right. I do as well as that. <laughs> so what, what's the, t- I have to ask, what's the top wedding band song? Uh... I mean, the uh, <laughs> Lizzo is real popular right now. Okay. The Billie Eilish tune is becoming pretty hot over okay. the last couple of Okay. So do you yeah. do a good Lizzo? I mean, what's going on? Yeah, we have – it's – I mean, we can talk about this. <laughs> it's a, we're lucky. The band that we're in, uh, me and Kyle and Jordy plays in sometimes too, is – all, we have like very special everyone a bunch of singers who all do like really specialized oh, things so there's like seven different singers and a rapper so like our Lizzo is like awesome and like our Kanye <laughs> is awesome and, okay like, I got you know. you. I, I was th- I was envisioning you as Lizzo yeah no, no. <laughs> that, see, that would, that's where that's where you don't want to end up okay yeah I, I, you, you know. can play the guitar though. okay yeah no no offense I just you know yeah no, that no almost, that would that be would really be, bad yeah. no I actually think that'd be kind of funny I'd, I'd, I'd really get we into that we could probably do like a kind of country cover yeah. of like uh, yeah maybe shirts, try that yeah, yeah. 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 Like I mean Lizzo. You know, what is it Country Roads is a crossover hit you guys can do yeah there you go there you go um how did you get interested though in Americana and roots rock and and this kind of stuff because I mean you came from a classical background you've done jazz yeah done everything what what, what about this kind of music is attractive to you I always uh like in addition you know conjunction to playing classical music I was always listening to like the radio I grew up on like Q101 Chicago basically and like you know I was always you know exposed to the Beatles and Stones classic rock and stuff when I was young so had all of that going on too and um, I got kind of into bluegrass in uh, high school, playing the mandolin. And, um, you know, this is kind of like intersection of all that stuff, you know, rock and roll, country, bluegrass, sort of is the kind of mix of stuff that comes mm-hmm. out in my songs, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you, are you guys going to be playing Nashville at all on your tour, or what's going on? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to play in Nashville in, uh, at the end of May. Played down there a couple times before. Very cool. Tell us, tell us a little bit about kind of the inspiration for some of these songs, uh, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, well, they're all different, I guess. If there's like a common theme, uh, <laughs> it's hard to say. A lot of them are kind of about where, like, the, no direction at least is kind of about um, being in a place that, you know, you see the times kind of ticking by and you're kind of making means to the ends trying to trying to do something and trying to do something you know greater but (laughs) (laughs) the time just the time just kind of keeps ticking by and you find yourself you know looking back and maybe there's regrets or maybe not but you know you just 
if you don't get out of if you don't go then it's not going to happen kind of thing you know when you started arranging this did you think about it thematically or or like an arc or just individual tracks um yeah no mostly just individual tracks you know there's there's songs about there's one song about kind of like friends from the past um there's a song kind of about feeling like bogged down there's a song kind of about like intergenerational warfare you know <laughs> i don't know if you hear all that and what we were saying before, but it's all in there it's, it's interesting because i mean obviously we we deal mostly in tracks now right I mean, yeah. yeah um and it just it, it's interesting for us to hear how people are putting together albums totally yeah i mean i think it kind of it's hard to articulate, obviously, as you can tell. <laughs> but I think, you know, there is sort of like, even if it's more like musical, you know, the album kind of has a sound and a vibe, but it's not, you know, like a Sgt. Pepper's like concept album or anything yeah, cool I mean, like it, that, you know? It's interesting that you have such an improv background, but you're really kind of, uh, you're, I mean, you're putting tracks together. Yeah. Contained. Um, yeah, and you can maybe kind of hear it when we're playing, like, as opposed to if you listen to the tracks, we kind of like loosen up parts and do a little bit of jamming and stretch stuff out um, when it seems right. But also, you know, yeah, we're I'm also trying to make tracks that will be, like, put on Spotify playlists or, you know, played on the radio and stuff so not have, like, eight-minute jammers all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I, the way that we consume music is now so different. You know, you used to go to a record store and some fat guy would say, hey, you're not cool enough to buy this album. And, you, <laughs> right. you know, maybe you'd buy it anyway because you were feeling feisty. <laughs> but now it's all like Spotify and, and YouTube, which is a very weird – I find it a very weird way to, to consume music. How does that affect how you guys think about creating an album? I think people are moving away from albums. It doesn't seem like a lot of the bands are even interested in doing a full album. It's more about releasing a single or, you know, a couple songs. Which is why I have, like, the two singles uh, kind of preceded the album and stuff like that, so you can have a bunch of releases and, con- you know, content. I mean, it's all stuff that I would rather not have ever had to think about right. uh, personally. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of do think about, you know, like, promoting uh, and in terms of, like, on Spotify and SoundCloud and stuff. Like, it's kind of, you know, they there's certain elements of tracks that like, you know, people like curators or whatever are going to look for, for their playlists, which you you don't really want to think about, but it's kind of in the back of your mind. It is an interesting reality. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's it. But I mean, simultaneously, you know, releasing a couple tracks or could, could have been the equivalent of like an A&R 45s and not, not totally novel. Right. It is kind of like kind of similar to that. And, you know, then follow it up with a full record is kind of cool. Though still, I, I I released a couple singles like alone. You know, in the past couple of years in between records, and it's like cool to still like have the you know the full album to like yeah. build up to and stuff. It seems better to constantly have content though and, and release it in small bits. Yeah, it's hard to get people's attention for a full album. So yeah. releasing it a little bit at a time seems to be what a lot of bands are doing these days. It's working for DJ Khaled. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's, that's it brings up another thing. I mean, the the social thing is so important. Now, how much, how do you guys navigate that? Because it seems like so much of your marketing has to be on your phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to showing up and playing a gig and putting up posters and. No, yeah, I don't navigate it too well at all. Okay, I, I would have probably like um, functioned better in the like handing out flyers world, which is kind of when we started. That's we were like standing outside the park west handing out flyers and stuff which was 
you know, you don't really see that as much now. Yeah, it's cold out there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. it's trying to find your space in social media, which is hard. It's yeah. just a sea of And it's so never been, I've right never now. been someone who wants to, like, post a lot of stuff or, like, be, like, talking about myself to, like, everyone I know. Right. And so it just does not <laughs> well, we come appreciate naturally to me. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 right. I'm, I'm doing my best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, do, you do a great Lizzo. Thank you. At least uh, so we've been talking with uh, Jared Rabin. We're actually just about out of time. So, guys, thanks, first of all, for, for coming down and playing too. Yeah, today. I really appreciate the album. Yeah, yeah where, uh, where can people find out more information about the album? Um, at uh, my website's jaredrabin.com. Um, and I'm on Instagram, uh, Jared Ross Rabin, and Facebook, um, you know, all over the internet. Spotify. Right? Yeah, we're on Spot. The, a couple of these tracks are already out on Spotify and SoundCloud. And uh, you can get physical copies of the CD pre ordered at Bandcamp. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm easily findable. Easily findable. You can track <laughs> you down. Very yeah, cool. Totally. Thank you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I think guys. next week is Todd Manley on next week. Is he coming in or what's going on? It's a great question. Yeah, Jamie. I don't know what's going on. I know the Sean Maxwell Quartet might be coming on. Um, it's either them or Milk Belly. We've got, we're gonna. We've got some good guests and we've got some music. Yeah, we got some guests. We got some music because <laughs> that's how we do it on Radio Free. So uh, actually, from all of us here at Lumpet Radio. Thank you so much for listening to us. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys Thanks for having you. us. Yeah, thanks for having us.